Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Bay to Bay podcast. I'm your host, Seb Fry, and for this episode of the podcast, I'm very pleased to welcome Lizanne Jensen and Ed Hayes of the Fire Safe Council of Santa Cruz County. Lizanne and Ed, they both live in different parts of the county, but they're both up there in the mountains, in the woods, and so they are naturally very concerned with wildfire safety. But what I learned through my interview with them is that all of us need to be concerned with wildfire safety because most of Santa Cruz County is actually in a WUI, a uh, wildland urban interface, where it's very possible that your house, if it's not adequately defended against, uh, could be at high risk for burning down in some kind of massive conflagration. Uh, so there's tremendous information uh, available in this podcast, uh, and I really encourage you to uh, listen closely because even if you think that you're not at risk, you're probably at a lot more risk than you think that you are. So without further ado, Please sit back, relax, and listen to what Lizanne and Ed have to say. All right. Hey, Lizanne. Hey, Ed. How are you guys doing? We're doing fine today. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, inviting me over here to the um, EOC. What is the EOC exactly? It's the Office of Emergency Services for the County of Santa Cruz, and it's sort of the nerve center for the county when they're coordinating during some sort of a disaster, be it an earthquake, flood fire, any of those kind of things. All right, it's a very nifty facility here, and we've gathered here today to, uh, to talk about uh, Fire Safe uh, Council of Santa Cruz County. And uh, But before we get into the Fire Safe Council, uh, either one of you have like a little story you can share with uh, listeners, because I like to open this up by having people share like a little story so we can kind of get a feel for like who you are and like what you're about. You have something, Lizanne? Yeah, actually the way I got involved with this is having to evacuate twice from wildfires in Bonnie Doom where I live. And the first time it happened, I was absolutely terrified. And they always tell you that's true, but I just couldn't think straight. I ran from room to room trying to pick things up and then going, no, no, I should go do this. And I just wasted a lot of time and a lot of uh, energy. So after that was over, I made up a list of things next time if this happened that I would do. And the next time the we had to evacuate, had a checklist, we went through it, felt much more comfortable about it. And since that time, which has now been over 10 or 12 years, I've continued to refine that. And we now have a brand new brochure called Prepared Not Scared, which is designed to help people avoid that experience I had back in 2008. Yeah, it must be absolutely terrifying to have to evacuate for a wildfire. Just being told that you might have to evacuate is scary enough. And that's how I got involved. Uh, same thing happened to you? Almost the same thing. So it was like the second year we lived, uh, we live up on off of Skyline Boulevard. And second year we were living there, uh, I came home from work one night and parked right where my driveway started were 18 fire engines. And as I drove in my driveway, a DC, whatever it is, came right over the top of the house and was dropping the fire retardant right below my, my house out in the valley. There was a what called the Kings Creek Trail fire. And um, what I found out later is the reason they had to bomb it was because there was supposed to be a trail, a, a, a fire trail down to where this fire was, but it hadn't been maintained for years. And so it took them two days to get down to where the fire was. And so shortly after that, I got involved with the Fire Safe Council to, uh, we work on those kinds of things as well as other things that we're going to talk about. That's Anything. never a good sign when you come home and you see a tanker. It's <laughs> not a good sign, no. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't spread. It was actually contained, but uh, you know, it's enough to scare you. Sure, exactly. So, uh, what can folks do to plan ahead for a wildland fire? Is there anything that, that you guys recommend that people do to get ready for such a eventuality? Yeah, and um, what I would tell you is on the Fire Safe Council Santa Cruz County website, we have a downloadable version of the Prepared Not Scared. Uh, uh, worksheet and what it has in it that's most important is uh, if there's a fire threat that's imminent 
what kinds of things you should do. Uh, another little personal story. I was uh, talking to somebody who lived down in Southern California and Santa Ana's were blowing. They lived in Malibu Canyon. They looked across the canyon from them. There was fire. And the, my friend and her friend sat out there and drank cocktails and watched the fire until the wind shifted. It roared up the canyon and they lost everything uh, that they owned. So when a fire is in the area, there are certain steps you can take to get prepared, even if you haven't been given the official, official uh, notification to evacuate. And also in this guide, there is an emergency evacuation guide with things you can actually do when you're panicking and scared to make sure you can evacuate as safely as possible. So I'm guessing that drinking cocktails is probably not on the list of things <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah, not, not recommended. Not recommended. Not recommended, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. So, you know, so much of what we're experiencing today in California is because we're growing into these wild areas. And I, I, they call it the, what, the wildland urban interface? What, what is that exactly? Well, it's called more like, more, it's called the WUI now. The WUI, oh, that's right. the actual technical so term for it. That's huh? a technical it has term. It an acronym. Exactly. The WUI. The WUI. So when we talk about the WUI, it's, it's the area that we are moving, as you said, housing is moving into the forest lands a lot more than it had in the past. And, uh, and then with our drier climate, the, you have a, com a bad combination. You have more people in the forest and you have a drier climate. So the forest is drier and more likely to pop off. Um, if you talk to Cal Fire, I don't quote me exactly, but it's almost 75% of the fires that occur are caused by people. It's actually 90%. Yeah. So that gives you some idea of who should be watching out for how to prevent fires. So are there any like notorious like wooey areas here in Santa Cruz that... Well, yeah, I don't know if I'd say notorious. Uh, I'd say every wooey area is suspect. Uh, Every area suspect. So what are the wooey areas here in Santa Cruz? Like, what do we consider those to be? 75% of Santa Cruz County is wooey or really? wildland urban interface. So if you live up in the hills anywhere, and even sometimes extending down into the cities, I would say notorious areas, if I had to pick one, would be where there's a lot of eucalyptus. They are mm -hmm. a dangerous tree, and there are a lot of them in our county. So, you know, I live... Uh, on the ocean side of SoCal, but just on the ocean side of SoCal, and like right behind it is Nicene Marks Park, right? I mean, like, is that that's a wild land, right? Is that yes. a wild yeah. land, right? Yeah. So, yeah. am I in a wooey because I'm like right up against? I mean, I'm not very you far. You would I can be almost through a rock. You yeah. would pretty much qualify. I mean, really? Yeah. yeah. If you think the, about uh, Santa Cruz, the city. I mean, so the city proper is about the only place that's not in the wooey. You know, so and, there are parts you, of it. and you talk in Santa Cruz, just look up on the hill and De La Vega Park up there. That's all wooey land. Right. And as soon as you start going up the hill, you're in the wooey. Right. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're in the wooey. You're deep in the wooey. You're yeah. deep in it. So it's everywhere. Because I, I remember like, uh, you know, like seeing these uh, stories about Southern California. They're saying like the flames jumped I-5. I'm going like, wow, if flames can jump I-5, what do you want to bet they can also jump SoCal? Yeah. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And actually, any community that's within half a mile of the wildland urban interface is considered part of the WUI, even if it's in the city area. Or, or like Santa Rosa, which burned down. They lost 5,000 housing units, right? I mean, they, like yep. an Applebee's burned down, right? This is not like uh, what we think of like as wilderness, right? I mean, like this is no, you that and Santa Rosa is a prime example of how how the houses have moved into what was a woodland area, and but then almost became like looking like the city. And so once that fire started, in the well, we have the winds that blow the fires now. So the fires have gotten worse. Obviously, you've probably heard over the years that now the fires create their own weather own patterns. weather patterns. And that's sort of what happened in Santa Rosa. You had the winds that we're talking about today and the rest of this week came down. And if you remember, Santa Rosa fires right about the same time. Yes. So it was the Paradise fires, but it was only last week, you know, a year ago. So you think about those winds and they came down and blew 
the embers and the fire into, into what was more of an urban area. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And one of the things that happens in the, these kind of red flag conditions we have now is when there's high winds, embers can jump a mile ahead of the fire. Wow. So the firewall is back here, but spot fires are starting half a mile ahead of them, and you're and then the wind picks those up and starts moving them. So even if you get think a fire is some distance away from you, just takes a few embers coming into your neighborhood, catching a pile of leaves on fire, and there's now fire in your neighborhood too. So wow, that's always scary. But now here in Santa Cruz, we have our lovely lush damp redwood forests, right? So I've always figured, hey, these things aren't going to burn down. Uh, are these like a resilient kind of a forest? I've heard that term, resilient forest. Are these, do we have resilient forests here? Are the we? redwoods are resilient. They, they are. They do, they do better than your house. <laughs> 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 They've been here a lot longer than in, in any houses. But, um, you know, this kind of gives us a good lead into what we're doing right now um, in, with uh, six presentations around the county. All, all about home hardening, what you can do at your house. So Cal Fire and everybody are starting to say how you really need to protect yourself. You have to start in your house and work out to protect it against this ember barrage that um, is, is more prevalent now in the fires. And so you have to look at what should I do right around my house first to protect my house if you want to protect your property? And, and you begin to think about if there's a bad fire, where's the best place to be if you can't, if you haven't evacuated when you were supposed to? Where's the best place to be? And in most cases, you need to stay in your house. So you want that house to be protected against the fire coming at you. Yeah, you know, I, um, uh, me being a realtor and whatnot, I uh, have recently been traveling around to the realtor business meetings, and I talked to people from, uh, from you know, Paradise, and uh, I said, hey, what, because how, how come some houses survived? And they said, well, those are the houses that had the 100-foot clearance, right? Like, those are the ones that survived. The ones that didn't survive are the ones where, and I see it every day, like, as a realtor, like, I, you know, I was just in Chemiquita Park in uh, Redwood, you know, um, in Santa Clara County, you know where Chimiquita Park is? It's mm -hmm. just down the hill from you, Idlewild Drive or whatever. Oh, you're going down yeah, 17. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, like all those houses yeah, have redwood trees just like redwood against trees. the eaves of their houses, right? I mean, like, is that if, if we want to have like a, a fire safe space, we need to cut down all the redwood trees which are leaning up against our eaves? <laughs> well, um, one thing that our presenter last night at one of our uh, fire safe council talks said that the homes that did survive up in Paradise were homes that were built after 2008 when they changed the building codes. And uh, about 40% of the homes built after 2008 survived. The survival rate was down in the low teens for homes that were built prior to that. So maintaining good standards, maintenance around your home is one of the biggest things you can do the defensible space is great, but uh, you start within the first five feet of your home. Your roof is the biggest surface on your house. If you've got leaves up there, they can catch fire. If you've got leaves in your gutter, they can catch fire and it'll wick right into your house. Shrubs right under your, all around your, under your windows, if those catch fire, the heat from them will crack your windows and fire will move in through your house. So if you start at your immediate house, even the broom out on your front deck, embers hit that and you've got a fire. So when we have this kind of critical fire weather, it's time to go around outside your house and look at the things that are close to your house that could actually start a fire, get the fire going in your house. Yeah, to just reinforce that, uh, at one of our presentations, uh, a Cal Fire chief told us a little story about a fire that he he was called out to his crew they had three fire engines that showed up at a mobile home park and the embers had been blowing through and it so happened that that day they had delivered uh, phone books and had placed them on the porches in front of the front doors of all these houses and when they pulled up every phone book was on fire in front of the house 
Wow. And the first thing they had to do was run around to try to save these homes by getting the phone book away from the front door of the house. Wow, that's crazy. So that, you know, what Lizanne said earlier, you know, the five feet of right around your house becomes very critical. You think about embers hitting the wall and then they fall down. And if there's something to fall down on that can like kindling or leaves and then that fire goes back up the wall again. Right. And if it gets up high enough, catches into your roof and into your attic, and that's when you lose a house. And when firefighters look at your house, they're going to look at, if you have vegetation all the way up, crowded all the way around your house, that's going to be a much tougher house to save than one that has a zero to five foot clearance around them. Even if there's a few things, they can usually toss them out of the way, but... You know, if it's fires roaring through and they have to make decisions, having good, clear space right directly around your house is probably one of the most important things you can do. So, so should I chop down the redwood trees, which are abutting my eaves? No, but you should get the branches away. The branches away. So, you know, you need to uh, lift up the, the, the branches to, you know, substantial mm -hmm. height, suggested above your roof if it's that close. Right, okay. Um, Good you know, point. We don't recommend that you ha you don't have to go cut the forest down. Right, okay. I'm glad to hear that because <laughs> uh, I do love the forest. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what... Climate change is having a tremendous impact, I guess, on all of this. So wh what do you think that's going to do for wildfires here in Santa Cruz County? Go ahead. Um, well, one thing is De Douglas fir trees, which we have all over our county, we're at the southern end of their range. And as the climate warms, they're becoming more stressed. And if you look around the forest up where we live, there are a lot of dying Doug fir. And there are tons of them in the area. So. Having um, uh, trees much more close together back in the time when the Amun-Mutsun people were managing this land, the tree density was about 12 to 14 trees per acre. Now, on most counts, there's something between 70 and 100 trees per acre. So insects, disease, competition for water, all those issues are stressing trees. So if we get warmer climate, the, uh, the burn season becomes longer, the trees become more drought stressed, all those are a recipe for a lot of problems. Yeah, just to reiterate that, if you talk to the foresters in the state park and, and uh, Cal Fire, way back when, before we were here, living in the Wooey, most of the, the Santa Cruz Mountains was grassland. Oh, really? It was because fires used to be prevalent up there, but they were good fires because, and so who survived? The redwood trees need fire to reproduce because they, that causes their pine cones or their redwood cones, I guess they are, to pop. And so that's how they uh, survive. The Douglas fir are actually an invasive species in the, in the woods up here because they don't like fire. Ooh, sorry. They don't like fire. So for the last hundred years, we've suppressed fires in our mountain areas. And so the, red, uh, the uh, Douglas firs have gone crazy. And now with climate change, they're, they're being stressed. And so we got, we got some problems. So, and the, wow. the tan bark oak trees, there's disease running through those. You'll see a lot of dead ones mm. in there. And it's because the forests are now so crowded that disease or insects, they can move much easier. The, the people, indigenous people who lived here before us, about they had a seven-year rotation where they burned different parts of the forest, kept the understory cleared out, uh, hazelnuts grew, the manzanita grew, um, it was foraging for deer and other animals, and with the forest crowding out, if you had looked at this area 200 years ago, it would have looked really, really different totally than different. it does now. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So I guess the, uh, the the folks who lived here before us, they were pretty good about creating like defensible spaces, <laughs> essentially, right? So we've we've lost that. It's basically what you're making. I'm kind of worried now because you're basically saying there's like a tinderbox covering all of our mountains here in Santa Cruz County. So 
Um, so what is a defensible space then? I mean, like, what, what do you do if you're... So defensible, so there's actually what's becoming now as a result of the fires, they're becoming two, two areas where you have to look. Number one is to look at the house itself and to save your property. And number two, to look at the defensible space leading up to the house. So in the past, you know, that area that was called defensible space was basically, so from zero to 30 feet out, you try to keep everything low, you try to keep the ground clo uh, closely cut and, and not burnable, and then from 30 out to 100 feet, that's where you're limbing up your trees, you're trying to space your trees so that if a wall of fire is coming, there's a fire break, essentially. Um, you know, if you have a big fire coming through the crown of the trees, you have a problem because it's, that means it's already out of control. But, but if there's, uh, you know, a normal fire, the firewall will come. If it comes to 100 feet from your house, it'll drop down to the ground. And if it's uh, non-combustible there, then you're protecting the house. And so then it's only what embers could fall on your house and how, how you, now you have to protect the house. And, and that's, a, again, I want to put a plug in for our presentations because that is what we're going through right now. Lizanne touched on several of the points, but that's, that's what we're kind of trying to concentrate on. The other thing is, uh, with defensible space, we don't want to make it sound all doom and gloom. There's certainly yeah. things people can do to help with the situation. Where I live, all my neighbors are on about one acre parcels. And we started doing, after the big scare with our evacuation, we started doing clearing and maintenance on our property. We do a little bit every year. It's not inexpensive to drop trees and do all that, so we do it a bit at a time, but 12 years later, we have a really good defensible space around our house. A lot of our neighbors have seen what they're, we've been doing, and they've started doing it too. So now, in the five, there's a five-acre area surrounding me where we have pretty good defensible space because all of us have been doing this. So that's, you know, another way to do it is to engage your neighbors because property, fires don't recognize property lines. So you all got to do it together. And then there are also uh, landscape level projects where those are things that Cal Fire is coming in doing their grants that actually, say for example, Nicey Marks, they could go in and do a, a big project in there, which helps too. So. There are things we can do as individuals, mainly starting with our house and working out, and then there are things that are going on to treat this on a larger scale. A lot of backlog work to do, but you know, they're priorita we're all prioritizing areas where we think we can make the most difference, where it's needed most, and then we'll continue to work on it. So it's, it's been an education process, learning and uh, hel helping get the word out, which is what you're doing with your podcast, is one way to make get people aware of what they can do to make their own lives safer and their communities as well. So you guys touched on these workshops that you're doing. These are home hardening workshops. Is that what that is? So That's correct. What is home hardening? So, so it's doing the things that you need to do, you should do to protect your home. So. As, as we were discovering, some, you, you establish priorities, and one of the things we, you probably didn't think about, but you know, your roof of your house is probably the most critical area of that your house. That is great shake roof from uh, Yeah, great shake roof. It's not, <laughs> it not exactly really recognized cool. as a good, good thing anymore. <laughs> a, a class A fire resistant roof is what you want to have. Well, they have these new like concrete shakes that are actually those, those, are, those are good. good. Those are good. Uh, the tile roof is good, it, but just a regular shingle, a composition, a composition shingle, shingle. That's considered roof. fire safe. That's a fire safe thing. Um, they've come up with new uh, code requirements to so that the now when you have a new roof installed it basically meets a like a one hour fire rated code so there's a, there's an assembly basically that you put on top of your roof uh, when you re-roof and that 
that assembly is very, you know, uh, is, is one hour fire resistant as a rating. But one of the biggest things you could do, even if you have a composition roof now, is, is there's a, what they call a metal drip strip right at the edge of the roof where your roof goes into your gutter. So think about it, if you don't have gutter guards, so you usually collect leaves there. If you don't have this little metal strip that it, it's right against the wood part of the roof, at right where the gutter is, that if you get a fire going in your gutter, it goes in under the composition roof and your attic goes on fire. It's kind of like a flashing, an yeah. L-shaped flashing that inserts under the roof line and drops down next to the gutter and it helps protect your roof as well. It's almost as important as class A roof because especially, right. you know, you have those beautiful redwoods, they drop deaf and even if you get up on your roof and sweep it off once a month, you're still going to have some stuff in your gutters so the, the shielding between the gutters and your roof is really important and that is an inexpensive item to add yeah. to your roof. So, you know, that's the first step. Then you have to look at your roof if, it's, if it has valleys, if it has dormers, anywhere where leaves or debris can collect. And if you don't, and, and so the key is maintenance. You know, you can do these small things like to make sure you have the drip and, and leaf guards, but then you have to make sure your roof stays clean too. Um, that, that's where embers are gonna fall the most likely. Um, you know, then you can look at other things around the foundation, as we were saying, is really an important area too. So the first five feet, you wanna have some sort of a, just a non-combustible thing. You don't wanna even have plants there anymore. Um, we, we have some pictures that show how people now have come in and basically put their walkways or sidewalks next to the house and then the planting is outside of the sidewalk so the house from from the street still looks almost exactly the same only now you have protection right at that foundation level the same thing happens even if you talk about having a, a stucco house um, where that stucco comes down there's usually a gap from the ground to the stucco, maybe six or eight inches. If you go look underneath that stucco, there's a there's a space there. And there's a, a, a drip type of flashing that you should have there, but it may not always be there. But think about that. If, if you have debris falling down and you start a fire there, it's perfect to go right back up under a stucco thing and then right into the house. Um, so, you know, th those are a few of the things, you know, other areas that we talk about are the venting. Everybody has foundation vents and, and roof vents. Well, now in the past, everybody had quarter inch gaps in the venting screens. And now we found that that's not good. The embers are able to, are small enough that they'll go through a quarter really, inch Really, they can fly right through that, huh? Yes. And so, there's new vents being devel developed now that actually have eighth inch openings and, and have venting, but then they're like, they're almost like your uh, thermal pane window. Inside they have a honeycomb um, aluminum uh, product that when it heats up, it melts and shuts closed, cuts so nothing can go in. Um, these are, things that you really need to think about to do to upgrade your house. Oh, wow, that's cool. So what about like a moat? A moat? You're good with a moat. good? As long as it doesn't rot the siding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but well, you know, the, the walkway or some uh, decorative stonework and then your plantings, we're not saying don't do your plantings, just put them strategic. Think mm -hmm. about your beautiful window looking outside that's three feet up above the ground. You don't want to have a bunch of plants under there that heat up in a fire and crack your windows. Having them out a little further out, five feet out, they don't send the drift up under your eaves and you can still have that really beautiful look but you don't have the 
insects getting into your walls. You don't have the splash, you know. So it there's lots of reasons aside from just fire protection that it'll help preserve your home. Right. So now, what about the neighborhood? What can we do to make our neighborhood safer from wildfires? Lizanne's favorite topic. <laughs> well, I kind of alluded to that earlier. Wildfires don't stop at property lines. Um, if there's a program that uh, exists here in the state of California called the Firewise Program. And it's a voluntary program that neighborhoods or communities can come together. There's a kind of a framework that helps them get organized. They form a little committee. They actually work with their local fire jurisdiction to have somebody come out and walk their area and help them prioritize the projects that are most important to make their neighborhoods safer. Then they begin to do the work. Some organizations will have funding to hire, will put pool money together to hire it. Some will do the work themselves. And once they've accomplished that, they can apply to the state of California for FireWise certification. And if you get that, you can advertise your neighborhood as being a FireWise community. And uh, that's attractive for realtors, home values, etc. that this community has cared enough to do the work to make their uh, community that much safer from wildland fires. Interestingly enough, right before I came here today, I was in Chemiquita Park, and they have a FireWise council sign right at the entrance of the neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it, it's something to be proud of. Um, I think Lizanne kind of touched on it. Uh, Cal Fire actually administers the program for uh, in the state of California, and every year you have. So first of all, you have to be a legal organization. So somebody like a homeowners association uh, can qualify. Road associations here do, and it's because somebody has to be responsible for what what you're saying you'll do and and so uh, you work with your local fire district uh, people to develop this plan you then say we will carry it out and then on a yearly basis you renew your certification so uh, that pretty much gives you a you can put your sign out and say we are certified you can put it to your insurance company and say i live in a firewise community you I mean if you want to sell your house that's that'd be an advantageous place to be now is that you're in the firewise community that's actually watching out for for your for you so it's it's a program that we're hoping to get greater participation uh, Do we have any more firewise communities here in Santa Cruz County? Because that's in Santa Clara County. That's Santa any, Clara County. They, they have a great program well, over has there. Has anybody got together yet here in Santa Cruz County? We're working on it. Uh, there's Santa, none? There's zero so far? They're in, in, our, in our, as far as the fire safe county, there is none. In Santa Cruz City limits, there's two, I believe, now. Uh, one just got. Uh, Paradise Park is one. Um, and I forgot where the other, do you remember, Liz? And it's a community down below the Davis Yeah, VA. so there's only two that we know of in the county all over. All right, well, that's going to change starting right now because yeah. people are listening to this podcast. So that's fantastic. Now, people are listening to the podcast. They've learned a tremendous amount. So is there any reason why anybody listening to this podcast should attend one of your Fire Safe Council home hardening presentations? It, the reason they should? Yes. Well, because there's a lot more information lot more, that we're not able to just, convey here. We're just skimming the surface. I, and the best, the best part of our presentation is that we have pictures of houses that survived all of these big fires that we were just talking about: Santa Rosa fire, the Car fire in Redding, uh, the uh, Paradise fire. Um, those all, and so we have examples of why certain houses survived um, there's one house in particular it it looks pristine and for a mile around that house every other house burned down wouldn't you like to know why that one didn't burn down i would down? love to know why why didn't that happen uh, you, tell me? you have to come you, you have to come to the presentation to find this presentation out. well that's a good reason now i'm going to go to the presentation uh, and we'll get to the presentation in a little bit but um, before we do i just wanted to cover a few more things like um 
fire insurance. You know, nowadays when people buy properties up in Felton or Boulder Creek, the realtors are saying, as part of your inspect, as part of your inspection period, you might want to find out about insurability. And usually it's like everyone thinks about that last. They're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to close like in 10 days. I better get insurance, right? Now mm-hmm. we're saying you want to have that be like part and parcel, like right up front. So um, because people are getting their uh, insurance policies canceled all the time. So what do you do if your like, insurance policy gets canceled? Well, <laughs> um, well, the first thing we suggest is you contact the California Department of Insurance. They are actually tracking this. This is not only happening in Santa Cruz, it's not only happening in California, it's happening all over the western states as the risk of fire becomes greater. So they are collecting data which is helping them. They have organized a California climate insurance group which is looking at a long-term solution to providing people insurance but not bankrupting uh, the insurance companies. So. Uh, California has a voluntary residential insurance market and insurance companies are managing their risk. Um, so they want to make sure that if there is a catastrophic fire, they have the funding to cover the homes that are they're insuring. Um, so our recommendation is that you, if you lose your insurance, contact the California State Department of Insurance contact a local insurance broker who knows which insurance companies are writing new policies and try and get two or three quotes if you can. And if you're unable to obtain insurance through any uh, of these these methods, there is the California Fair Plan. It's insurance, insure of fire insurance of last resort. Um, And then you can get your fire insurance through them and then you can get the rest of the kind of coverage that you get through a regular insurance broker. You want to talk about you? <laughs> well, I, I'm one that... You're an insurance broker. No, no, I'm one that had my oh. insurance uh, canceled <laughs> okay. af- after 30 years with one really? company. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's what's happening. I mean, it's, you know, and I think as Lizanne mentioned, it's the insurance companies are not pulling out of California. That's the good news. But what they are doing is trying to manage their risk better. And they have gone into areas we were talking earlier about, you know, the Santa Cruz Mountains are a high uh, risk area. And the insurance companies are looking at that area and saying, we, we can't have as much risk in that area. If something happens, we'll go bankrupt. And so they've you know, the idea is to try to spread the risk out. So, um, yeah, when uh, I, I, they gave me 30 days notice, which they're supposed to give you 90 days. Um, and that, that came from the insurance um, commissioner. And I think they're enforcing that a lot more now that people are getting a more, if they're being canceled, they have to have the 90 day notice. Um, we did run around, we, we found a broker that helped us um, we had three different quotes, um, starting at fifteen thousand down to ten thousand a year, um, which was like five times what we had been paying before, maybe more. Um, but actually, we ended up with a, a good broker, and what she did was we had to go with the California Fair Plan, and then but then we were able to get a wraparound policy uh, that covers you basically as you are now. Um, and I, I think quite a few people are going there, but that was my experience. I have friends, that, other friends, that have actually been able to renegotiate with their insurance company that uh, had been insuring them and talking, showing them what they've done around their house. In some cases, they actually are coming out and inspecting the houses. and. Um, what we're finding is that insurance companies now are starting to dictate this defensible space they want to see around your house. So the 100-foot level is moving out to 200 feet. Uh, and this is more being directed by insurance companies. Um, so it, it pays to have a good broker to make sure that you go talk to the insurance companies about what it can be. To, but you can still get insurance. Let's, let's put it that way. It's not... 
can be done. Yeah, I have a client who, <clears throat> after she bought her house, they did cancel her insurance policy within several months, and then she did find a, a guy in Felton, I guess, who uh, hooked her up with some insurance, but it was through Lloyd's of London, and it was like, you know, three times what she was paying before, but at least she's insured, you know. That's a very good tip, though, about, um, about the, what you call that, the... Le the California Fund for the Last Resort, what was that uh, called? Yeah. The California Fair Plan. California, California Fair, Fair Plan. Plan, you have to remember. So Google California Fair Plan Insurance, and then you'll find more information on that. Yeah, that one's, it, it's, it's not, it, it's an independent insurance company, but it's been mandated by the state to supply insurance for people for last resort. Got it. Okay, very good. All right. So, uh, what special items do I want in my go bag if I have to uh, evacuate? What, what's good to have? Well, um, interestingly enough, you want to if you're evacuating, you want to wear long sleeve cotton or wool clothing, a nylon shirt. If there are embers blowing around or a lot of heat, it melts, and you don't want to be wearing those kind of clothes. So no, I got my, my polyester disco threads back <laughs> yeah, in the... Yeah, don't don't don't, don't No, that wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> uh, and then also, you don't want to evacu evacuate in flip-flops. You want to put on some heavy-soled, sturdy shoes if you're evacuating. You may be on the road and a falling branch falls in your way and you have to get out and move it out of the way. Leather gloves are another really good thing to evacuate with. Um, the N95 mask, you can get those at CVS. Places what, what is that? Is that like a regular? It's a little like, mask. It's a little Like a nurse mask thing. kind yeah. of thing? Or yeah. not, not the, the ones no. with the accordion pleats in it. They, right. They're kind of shaped to fit around your nose. Uh -huh, okay. Because it's now being shown that even short-term smoke inhalation is not good for your lungs. Oh, so of course that's horrible. Yeah. yeah, so if you're having to evacuate out through smoke, I mean, it can be almost <laughs> dark as night during the day if it's in heavy smoke, so an N95 mask is important. And, um, you know, if you need to get out of your car for any reason to move a log or help somebody, a wool blanket to drape over your shoulders if there's embers flying is another good thing. So there's specific <laughs> kind of things for evacuation. So big, heavy stuff. Yeah, in 90 degree weather. In 90 degree weather. <laughs> well, it's yeah. going to be hot no matter what. <laughs> One of the other things, you should have like a little backpack ready to go. And in it, you should have some extra money. Um, cash. 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 Cash money. Um, and make, you know, you try to bring your credit cards with you, but, you know, if you have this little go bag, if you, somewhere close to your door, you pick it up and you can run out the door in five minutes and now it, so you need to know what you got in there um, you know you want to have you want to have valuables like a backup on your papers or your valuable documents so I mean now you can do a thumb drive basically and have that in the backpack have have a uh, have your medicines you have to have those uh, or at least your prescriptions so that you know you know, because most time you get evacuated, it's going to be a couple of days at at the minimum that you're not going to get back in. Yeah, I was out six days and then five days when right. I had to evacuate. The other thing is now with PG&E doing these shutoffs, ATMs may be shut down if you need to get gas in your there car, you those kind of things. If the, And it takes them a while to get the power back on, so if you don't have some cash on you, you know, you may not be able to fill your gas tank, you may not be able to buy your groceries, so having a little spare cash on hand, you can just put it in one of those little um, old film canisters and easily tuck it away and carry it with you. That's another really important thing. Yeah, that's uh, what I heard uh, good advice the other day was you should always go home with a full tank of gas because you'll never know if you suddenly have to uh, get up and leave at a moment's notice. So uh, that's good, uh, good advice, very good advice. So now what about if like a fire is threatening but I don't have to evacuate though? I mean like, you know, like maybe this fire is five miles away and they haven't given me an order. What, what should I do in that case? Well, the, this uh, prepared not scared uh, work, work uh, guidebook that we have, which you can download from the FireSafe Santa Cruz website, um, has all this information on it, but a couple things you want to think about is 
call your neighbors. Make sure everybody in your family, if the kids are downstairs watching TV, make sure they know that there's something up. Your neighbors may not know, and this is especially true if it's at night. And then we suggest pulling your car out of the garage or just park it so it's facing out. Be sure and roll up the windows or have the windows up and the trunk closed because if embers start blowing in, you don't want them to get on your upholstery and start your means of escape uh, on fire. So, And then after you pull your car out, put your car keys in your pocket so you know where they are and you're not running around looking for them later. Um, if there's fire around but it's not uh, threatening, you don't have to get out right away, contain your pets. Mm-hmm. Make sure you put your cats and dogs in a room so that if you have to get them, you're not spending 15 minutes running around the property trying to find them before you leave. Uh, start charging your cell phone and monitor the TV and radio for updates. Um, you want to shut your fireplace and wood stove flues. If you have air conditioners and ceiling fans going, turn them off. Uh, take any floor mats, uh, patio furniture, barbecues, any kind of flammable items and drag Propane them. Propane cans. Yeah, drag them 30 feet from your home. This is all while you have time and you're not having to go. You can always put them back later, but better to be safe than sorry. Also, if firefighters arrive at your house and they don't have to do these steps, they can start running lines right away to protect your property rather than having to get your patio furniture out of the way to get the lines where you need them. Um, you want to lean a metal metal ladder up against the side of your house so if you haven't been that good about getting the leaf debris off your roof, they can get up there with a rake and scrape it out, get up there quickly. Um, the prepared not scared guide that we have, um, there's a part of it you can take in your car, so if you're evacuating, there's a guide on steps you can take to stay safe while you're evacuating. So lots of things you can do if there's a fire anywhere because if the wind shifts, you may think it's going away from you, but if the wind shifts, you've already got this stuff done. You don't have to do it right at the last second. Right, okay. Well, that's quite a lot of stuff you uh, can do uh, it, just to get ready in the, that eventuality. But now, what if I actually do have to evacuate? What if they, uh, I mean, how do they tell you? Like a, like a cell phone thing goes off? Like the... Uh, if the cell phones are working, if the lines haven't burned. Well, first, you have to register with the county to get a call to your cell phone. So everybody should be doing that, re- registering through the county. Code red. Code red. Um, you can Google a Code Red Santa Cruz County. Right. It's really easy form to fill out, and they will notify you as long as there's phone communication. Now, it's, it's called it's like a, a reverse nine one one. Right. So, and we're sitting right in, as you mentioned earlier, we're sitting in the, the place that they'll be sending it out from. Um, it, if there's an emergency and they and they know up to date stuff here, when it's time for you to be evacuated. You get a reverse nine one one. Well, maybe call. after we're done with the interview, we can go press that button, <laughs> see what happens. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that, we'll try that after yeah. it. Yeah, pandemonium uh, erupts. Right. <laughs> right. So first of all, you want to be notified. Right. And, yeah. So get and notified. As, uh, and don't forget to leave your cell phone on at night, be- because that's when the call might come in. More more times than not. Uh, in fact, I you know a lot of people just recently in uh, Las Cumbres area where they had the bear fire two years ago I think it was and then just this year we had the deer fire almost in the exact same spot those people were there but a lot of them had their cell phones turned off so they never even heard about the evacuation at one o'clock in the morning and so the fire the next thing the firefighters do is come around so firefighters show up for a fire the first priority is to save lives so the first thing they do is go around door to door and try to find you knock on the door uh, time get out and so that's the first thing second thing is to save property if they can and if they can is an important thing about all the things that Lizanne just said if a fire company shows up at your house and takes a look and says oh my god there's all that debris next to there and there's this and that 
they go on to the next house because they're evaluating what house is easiest to save. And if your house looks like a mess, they move on. And that's it. They well, it depends on staffing. If they have the staffing, they will try and save every house. But if they have limited staffing and the fire is moving fast, they have to make triage decisions about, is this a house I can help? One uh, other thing that's in this prepared, not scared document is a, a uh, resident information sheet that you can fill out tape inside your front window by your front door says uh, how many people live at the house, how many evacuated, how many stayed, where you're going so that if they're defending your neighborhood and they have a question, they know where to find you. It's, uh, you can list things like where your propane shutoff is, if you have natural gas, if you have a generator. There's room on this little form to leave the fire folks important information that may help them uh, better protect your home. All right, well that's good to know. Um, now how about like doing evacuation drills? Is that something you guys recommend for people? I do them as a practice every time. When the deer fire happened, it was across the San Lorenzo Valley from me, but it was in an area of dense fuel mm -hmm. and vegetation, so we start doing our drill and we practice it. And what the importance of that, in fact, right now, we have our fire hoses run out now, just because we're in a critical, uh, you know, red fire warning right. alert period. So fire comes in the middle of the night, we don't want to be doing that, trying to figure that out in the middle of the night. And it also gives you calm and clarity. The one thing I can't emphasize enough, the first time you go through this, it's really, it's scary every time you go through it. but. If you practice it and you have a plan, you do a lot better than if you don't. And uh, this prepared, not scared uh, worksheet and emergency evacuation guide, I really highly recommend people download it. It gives you a lot of good tips on things you can do to be better prepared and get out safely. Okay, all right. Now, uh where do folks go to f like get on your mailing list or is there like a website or how do people stay in touch and keep updated on all this? Uh, well, we have a, we have both a website and a Facebook page. Um, so um, the best place to go for information is to our website and that's uh, firesafe uh, Santa Cruz County. Um, dot, dot org dot org fire safe spelled out fire safe santa cruz county dot org, dot org all one big word right and that okay. would be our website and then our facebook page is fire safe santa the cruz same county. basically so facebook.com slash fire safe yeah, santa cruz county all one that, word that, yeah, so uh, for example today we put information up on our facebook page about the red uh the, the fire warning that we're under right now so and uh you know interesting articles come out on fire science and, and so yeah even even if there is a fire we try to keep it updated on a, a a daily basis of whatever the cal fire reports are so uh, when there is a fire in the area you want to go to either one of those places and find out what's going on do you guys have a twitter feed not yet. We don't have a Twitter Not feed yet. yet. Yeah. What's, what's one thing that's very cool about Twitter is you can actually set like an alert saying whenever this person tweets, pop it up on my phone. Yeah. So that would be a good way to... Well, uh, really what we would really recommend is doing the code red for the... The so code red for the yeah, 911. That's the real deal right That's there. the real deal. We may, you know, we're a volunteer organization. You might be exactly. we may on be vacation. Yeah. We're, 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 we're not the ones that you are running the OES at the time. Everyone's safety, yeah. right? Yeah, we're okay. trying to keep people informed. And you do have a mailing list, though, is that right? I mean, like email list, or you guys don't send out like paper mail, do you? No, no, no. It's all email. No. Yeah, and yeah. we have we're hosting a lot of events. We put out important information that helps people be better prepared and fire safe. So, um, if people if that's an area where they'd like some support and help, we're we're happy to do that and. But we have to know you're out there, and that our mailing list is the way to get get involved. So tell me about these events you guys are putting on uh, right now. What you have a whole series of events that are going on, right? And they've we, already started. We've already had one or we two. Or started our first two yesterday. Right. Okay. Yeah. So what? How long are these events? Where are they held? All that good stuff. Jeez. Well, um, the 
it's the same presentation, but we're doing it in six places around the county to try and get as many people access to the information as possible. Uh, we start with a presentation about um, the things you can do to make your home safer. We have, after we do that, we post all these really interesting pictures and we do a little kind of group quiz where we say, okay, well, what, what do you think happened at this house? What did they do right? What was wrong at this house? And it's a real good way to educate people and yourself after you've gotten this information and look at various things and start making these kind of assessments. Um, and then uh, the, en the end of it is uh, really important. People who now have these tools to do the things and are motivated to do the things to make their homes safer, we have a uh, home hardening certificate that you can actually, you don't actually have to come to the presentations, but if you do, we'll give you one there. You can also sign up for it on our website. And basically, uh, Home Depot in Santa Cruz, San Lorenzo Lumber in all their locations, Big Creek in all their locations, and Monument uh, Lumber Supply Company in Watsonville are all participating. And if you print out the certificate, you can take it in, and there's a list of home hardening projects that qualify. And uh, you can get a uh, basically a 10% contractor's discount if you want to do the work. The, it's good through December 31st, so if you want to put in some dual pane windows, if you want to redo your vents, even if you want to redo your roof, you can take advantage of this home hardening certificate. And then at the end of the period, what we're asking people to do is to take before pictures and after pictures of the work they've done. We're going to post those on our website so we have a resource library if people want to get ideas about what other people did. They can go there and anybody who does this work and submits the pictures will be entered into a drawing and we're going to be giving away uh, $2,500 broken out by various categories and so you may be able to actually recoup some of the cost of doing this uh, home hardening work. So you can get this home hardening certificate on your website, FireSafe Santa Cruz, what is it again, FireSafe Council Santa Cruz? No, FireSafe Santa, Santa, Santa Cruz County. 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 Dot org. This certificate, I can go there, I can download it, and I can take it to these, uh, like Home Depot, San Luis Lumber, Big Creek, Monument Lumber, and they'll give me discounts on uh, on the back of it, uh, fire extinguishers, smoke alarms, non-combustible fencing, all kinds of stuff. And um, it's important to note that this is for anybody because all of Santa Cruz County, you're saying, is in Wooey, right? So if I Wooey, right? It's, That's the wildland urban interface. So even me, who I'm on the ocean side of SoCal, you, I could stand to benefit you by could. going to. Uh, well, that's good. I get 10% off, and this certificate is good uh, through um, December 31st. Uh, yep. Limit one per household, firesafesantacruz.org. Uh, so if I want to see where the other um, uh, workshops are, I go to your website as well. Yep. Maybe you we'll just read them off. What, yeah, what's left to see? The, what do we got? The next one we have coming up is this Saturday, October 26th. We're doing it at the Watsonville Civic Center Community Room. It's near the plaza, Civic Plaza downtown, and it's uh, they have a big parking garage. You drive up to the sixth floor and park and walk straight across, and there's the community room. And then we have two that are coming up on Wednesday, October 30th. One is from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Aptos Grange, and then uh, we have one at from 7 to 9 p.m. up at Loma Prieta School up on the Summit area. A lot of people are interested in the work up there. And then our final event will be on Saturday, November 9th, from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Coralitos Women's Club down in the little town of Coralitos. All right, very good. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for um, sharing all this information with me. I really appreciate it. Um, um, you guys have any final words before we wrap things up here? Uh, no, just be safe. Uh, this next week is one to watch out for. Uh, yeah, it's hot got, out there. We've got the heat and we've got the winds, so, um, yeah, so now is the time to be prepared. Yeah, so down if you do nothing else, download the Prepared Not Scared and use that as a guide to help you in all aspects of making yourself safer as far as fires are concerned here in the county. 
All right. Very good. Thank you, Lizanne, so much. Ed, thank you. Appreciate it. And um, I'll catch you guys uh, down the road somewhere. I hope so. (laughs) All right. That wraps up episode number 46 of the Beta Bay podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Lizanne and Ed. I learned a tremendous amount of information, and I'm sure that you did too. Uh, Do yourself a favor. Visit their website. Visit their Facebook page. And uh, sign up to be on the mating list because I know they're going to be sharing all kinds of very important information uh, with all of us. All right, well, before I wrap up this episode, I uh, would be remiss if I didn't mention that it is sponsored by thesoldbook.com. That's right, go to thesoldbook.com to download your free copy of my book, Get It Sold. It's all about how you can quickly and easily sell your home for the very highest price possible and have a good time doing it. Now, this is a real book. You can buy it uh, for $13 on Amazon.com. It does have a number of five-star reviews, but you can get it for free just by going to thesoldbook.com. And hey, check it out. If you use the coupon code FREESHIP at checkout, I'll even ship it to you for free. You can't beat that. All right, that is it for this episode of the Beta Bay Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I will have another episode up again before too long.